Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture. I'm Robert Bounds. On the programme today, we're looking into the future to see what we might be listening to, reading and heading out to the pictures to see this autumn. We'll be meeting Pablo Lorraine, the director of the new Princess Diana biopic, Spencer, which is out this week, and joining me in the studio to talk music and books are the journalist, DJ and host of The Last Bohemians podcast, Kate Hutchinson, and senior editor and features writer at The Evening Standard, Susanna Butter. Welcome both to the programme. Nice to have the Brains Trust around here once again. Hi. <laughs> Hello. <Lovely to> <laughs> Hi. We've had a strong warming up session. Oh, yeah. Haven't we? Let's hope the show is as, is as <laughs> ribald as the stuff that didn't end up on the tape. We've kind of come to the end of the summer and now we're talking about the autumn. Have you felt like you've had en- Did you feel like you had enough of it? Or do you feel like the leaves have fallen off too soon? Kate? Yeah, I feel like the summer of love sort of passed <laughs> me by in a kind of... Uh, <laughs> Fizzy tis. A fizzy tis. You know, now it's turtleneck weather. Yeah. I don't know what happened. No, it's hot girl autumn. Hot girl ah, summer's that's over. what it is. Yeah, okay. Oh, that's, that's how the seasons work now. I'm strapping in for that. <laughs> Should we uh, talk about some books and records and films and music and things? Go on. Okay. <laughs> Su- Susanna, we're going to start with you. You've chosen little-known bassist from Liverpool, Paul McCartney's new book of lyrics called The Lyrics. Well, he barely needs an introduction, does he? It's, um, <laughs> he said it's the closest he'll come to an autobiography. It's 154 songs, including one song that he's never performed before. Okay. Um, so he can still surprise after all these years. Um, <laughs> and he's sharing his notes and pictures and kind of scrapbooks and musings. Um, and he's done it with a poet called Paul Muldoon. And I mean, it's one for the fans, obviously. I mean, there's there's plenty for everyone, but it's it's also quite spiky. But these are just the Paul McCartney penned ones, or is this Lennon and McCartney, or is well, this McCartney and Lennon? That is a, a very apt question. Okay. Um, there's actually quite a lot of beef. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of beef for, veg- beef for a man that's been a vegetarian since 1971. He's, yeah, he's not letting it be. No. Okay. Um been down her sleeve, I think. <laughs> Um, no, um, there's there's kind of a bit of contention. Basically, what comes across reading it is he's still very cross with John Lennon. And there's some contentious bits about what the songs mean. The kind of didn't notice that the lights would change lyric in mm. a day in the life. It's him saying it's about one thing, John saying it's about another thing. And there's a song which John says he wrote, Paul says he wrote. It's a bit he said, she said. But it's it's a lovely thing to exist. Um, I mean, it, I've been cynical about it, but actually <laughs> I love the Beatles and I'm not ashamed to say it. And it's really, really nice to have everything kind of together, all the stories behind it, lovely old photos yeah. captured. And maybe because Paul is writing this, um, but a lot of professional rigour comes through. Occasionally he does sound like a bit of a loser, kind of like I made everyone have a cup of tea and write three songs before lunch. Um, <laughs> well, they just wanted to go off and be muck and roll, yeah, on brand. Um, but you're kind of glad he did. and it's... Yeah, aren't you glad he did, really, in the end? So which which the bits that Paul Muldoon has done? Has he kind of done the kind of expositional bits in between the, the, the songs. Yeah, and it's nice that Paul wanted to do it with someone else and he's yeah. resisted doing an autobiography for so long. So I suppose it shows humility to bring someone else in to kind of help you tell that story rather than... Yeah, just... It's an interesting one with, with musicians' autobiographies, like musicians of that stature, 
why they resist the autobiography kind of route. Warts and all kind of can come out in this way, in a kind of slightly more subtle way. Do you know what I mean? But it's a funny one. I get the sense of people who are, you know, Paul, Paul McCartney is a groundbreaking musician who has always pushed himself forward in one way or another, yeah. maybe with some breaks in between. So, you know, committing your story to paper in that way, does that take away the... Does, is that you saying, I've reached a point, I'm done, I'm no longer cutting edge or something? Yeah. Perhaps he's not quite ready to resign himself to that yet. You know, yeah. maybe. It's quite nice sometimes yeah. just having lyrics that mean different things to different people and you don't want to know that yeah. Paul thought it was about a politician and John thought it was about the Guinness heiress or kind of whatever the story is. Yeah. Like sometimes when you write a song, you just give it to people to make if they want make what they want of it. But then at the same time, it's kind of part of his legacy to lay it down. And there's the new Beatles Museum in Liverpool announced, announced in the budget, so they'll be delighted. <laughs> Or maybe he's just got too many skeletons in his closet, you know? I mean, if he's got this sort of subtle slagging off of Lennon in this one, I mean, God knows what other... I mean, he's definitely got some dirt, hasn't he, Paul? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's he's been there. Oh, God, he's got the dirt, and maybe there's a reason why he's not unleashing it all. (laughs) And there's the film coming out, too, soon, the Peter Jackson film. I can't wait for that, yeah. Beatlemania continues. Doesn't it? Never ends. Never ends. Um, That is the lyrics by Paul McCartney is out on November the 2nd, published by Alan Lane. Um, hi, Kate. Hello. Lovely to have you back in the studio. So nice to be back. Now, we've talked about Paul McCartney, and we're going to another little-known artist in the musical realm, Adele Atkins, whoever Adele. she may be. Yeah, Her new album, Atkins. 30. Yeah, Mysterious. Mm. <laughs> Mysterious Atkins, as she's otherwise known. Yes. So what's she been up to? Yeah, just in time for Hot Girl Autumn. Well, she's been, um, she's been in L.A. in her enormous... Three cottage compound, according How to Vogue. How is that? That she can't afford a house she likes in London? Right. So what hope do the rest of us have? <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, so she had, to, she had to go to LA to move into this compound and sort of live out her best pandemic life yeah. there. And she's made an album, thank God, because it's been six years. Oof, has it? Yeah. Wow, is it six years since Hello? Six, six years since Hello, I felt like it would never leave my brain. And then finally it said goodbye. And then suddenly, we're in 2021. We're in 2021 and suddenly it's not my most listened to song on Spotify (laughs) last year. (laughs) And there's been a pandemic in the way. So this this record, it's coming six years after 25. She's 30. She's called it 30. Maybe she's even 31 now because they delayed it for a year because of the pandemic. They went bond. Couldn't possibly have released it during the pandemic or we would have all gone more insane. (laughs) <laughs> with whatever earworm she would have had on there. Yeah. There would have been no escape. So, yes, she's started her own record label. This is the first album that's not on XL. Okay. It's on her own record label in Colombia, Melted, uh, Melted Stone, I think it's called. So, presumably, we're going to be hearing an Adele reborn, you know, the sound that she's always wanted, whatever you, you know, do when there's no A&R involved, when you can do whatever you want on your own label. And... She's had a divorce. She divorced her husband in January 2021. And this record is the great big emotional outpouring of life after divorce, of dealing with all of those difficult feelings and with, you know, surviving the scrutiny of fame and also some songs dedicated to her nine-year-old son and exploring motherhood. Shall we have a little bit of a clip of Adele bursting out the tracks? Change you 
We've been in a pandemic. It's been a very depressing time. We we really needed Adele. And we mind she... a beat in that. It's got a nice sort of chord change, but we mind a bit of. Yes. Um, just do a disco song. But yeah, I would have. Oh, imagine it. <laughs> do an Adele. <laughs> yeah. Adele did a disco belter. Yeah. I mean, I'm well, back. Look, maybe there's hope. She's got some interesting collaborators on this album. There's no Paul Epworth this time, but there is among the sort of usual big sort of pop star producer names like Greg Kirsten and Max Martin, the Shellback, all the great Swedes. There's Inflow from Salt, who we don't know much about because Salt tends to keep themselves quite secretive, but I think. Was the um, they're good, aren't they? Salt with a U. Salt are fantastic, yes, with a yeah. U. And Inflow is one of the sort of architects behind Little Sims' latest sound. He's worked with Danger Mouse. He's just an incredible producer. It's really sort of doing a very um, interesting take on soul. R&B and Afrobeat. So I've got high hopes for whatever, you know, magic dust he sprinkles on things. 30 by Adele is out on the 19th of November. Back to books now and Susanna Butter. Um, we're going to um, sample a bit of the latest by Sarah Moss. It's called The Fell, Susanna. Where did you first in- encounter the work of Sarah Moss? I first read Ghost Wall, which is... There's a, a bit of a Sarah Moss type of book, which is short, sinister, <laughs> very intense and increasingly topical. So her last book before this, Summer Water, was about Brexit. And this one is loosely based around the pandemic mm. um, in the kind of Ali Smith mould of responding to what's going on in literature. It's about a woman called Kate who's put into quarantine. She's got she's a single mum like Adele. Although she doesn't live in a compound. Um, Three cottage, Adele. (laughs) She's a a modest single mum with just the one cottage. Um, They're in quarantine for two weeks and she can't stand it any longer. We've all been there. And she decides to go on a walk, thinks that no one will see her. Her neighbour does see her and she falls down. And this is about what happens next. And it's told from various points of view. Her teenage son, Matt, kind of thinking, oh, mum will be fine. She loves quarantine. She loves having a bath and doing some cooking and then slowly he starts noticing that mum's not loving quarantine and it sort of goes between these people about what we've faced in the last two years it's just brilliant it's kind of like a a short intense sketch of relatable humanity written in a slightly poetic at times way Um, and you kind of yeah, immerse yourself in it and, and rip through it. It's, it's also yeah. a little bit Mike Lee, has lots of kind of ordinary stuff. And then with the teenager, there's bits of kind of like discussing how he's, his relationship with his phone, which I feel like lots of modern novels increasingly feel like they have to do. Like with Sally Rooney, there's a lot of he picks up his phone and it can feel a bit jarring, but Sarah Moss manages to do it quite gracefully. Mm. And how much nature in this is there and how much sort of obvious pandemic stress and strife is there in this it's it's quite like naturalistic it's yeah. it's very like relatable feelings of right now but at the same time it it won't date it's not kind of detailed descriptions of doing lateral flow tests or anything it's, um, <laughs> can't wait for that uh, new um trend in literature there is some nice nature and then writing I took in, the it. Swab out and put it in the see-through liquid just to put kate's and my mind at rest and possibly the listeners so she doesn't fall down a ravine it's just like she has a bit of a fall. She, she has a bit of a fall yeah okay. she's it's, it's not kind of mountain adventure it's a psychological thing that's been brought out by a small injury right rather than like yeah it's not like having to cut your 
toe off with a spoon or something. No, there's no kind of what's that? What's that film where they go missing? It's it's not like twenty-seven hours. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not Not the Revenant. <laughs> it's, it's safer than that. Um, Sarah Moss is a, is a this, she's this is a sixth novel and she's kind of slow burnt her way up to being you know novelist of moment. We're kind of giggling around the subject, but The Fell by Sarah Moss sounds like a wonderful thing and a subtle read on kind of pandemic blues as well. Um, that is published by Picada on the 11th of November. Thank you, Susanna. Um, it's time for a bit more music now. Um, we've got British electronica star John Hopkins. His new album, Music for Psychedelic Therapy, mm. comes out this month on Domino Records. Kate, what's his vibe? Oh, he is vibey, all yeah. right. So John Hopkins is kind of best known as, maybe some people know him as, you know, he's worked with Coldplay and Brian Eno, he's a producer, he's um, an incredibly talented pianist who's done film soundtracks, but he's also, in most recent years, a bit of a sort of techno, you know, festival headlining Mm. DJ performer. And his last two records, Immunity and Singularity, you know, were definitely full of kind of face-melting Bangers. I love those records. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Face-melting bangers, Susanna. Mm. But also we graceful. We need more of them. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Launch me into the face-melting <laughs> bangers, please. <laughs> Inject it into my veins. But I think John Hopkins was at, that, was at that stage where he was headlining huge dance music festivals and still is, and he could have gone even further down that route. But he hasn't. He's leaned into his psychedelic, ambient tendencies and interests and he's made music for psychedelic therapy which is an album that very much digs into ambient classical and drone and is kind of supposed to be not even an imaginary soundtrack a real life soundtrack to um well to tripping Put my face back. My face. Again. I was going to say it's just melting onto the table. Sort of like, look like, look like Harry Redknapp. <laughs> Don't feel your your heart chakra opening, guys. Yeah, it's super nice there. Yeah. It, John Hopkins has described his new sound as wanting to look inwards and something egoless with no attempts made to fit in. I quite like that. I quite like. That. Do you think Eno's music is like that? The sort of egoless, ambient kind of mellifluousness. Yeah, I think that's a real kind of. You know, cornerstone of of beatless music in a way, because mm. and and um, lyricless music. You know, when you're creating soundscapes and when you're pulling on, as you can hear, like very natural sounds. I mean, there's two sort of um, tangents for the story of how this was made, and one was that John in 2018 found himself. Well, he didn't find himself. I mean, you know, he booked the trip and he went. He didn't just sort of magically arrive in a cave in Ecuador for four days. <laughs> he went there of his own accord, and. Um, and someone he was with was recording lots of beautiful sounds of the Amazon rainforest. So I think when you pull in elements like that into a record, yes, you're not sort of imposing any kind of emotion on it. You're not sort of saying this is about this. You're not saying you need to feel like this when you're listening. But I think, you know, John just wants to sort of take you on a bit of a a journey. And the idea is that you can listen to it sober and perhaps find it you know that warm mm. glowy feeling that you would get from even just listening to sort of you know some bird song or you know when you go on your headspace app 
and you, you, you click on crackling campfire or something or, you know, waking up in the sun and it's, oh, it's that lovely feeling of, oh, isn't this, you know, lush. And John really is serious about this stuff. You know, he, he's an incredible um, producer, an incredible musician and he is genuinely serious about the potential for music to, to heal you know, to to warm your heart, to 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 open your, I guess, your third blooming eye, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so like I'm pleased it. that Absolutely. he's come. I'm ple- I'm pleased that he's kind of made the ultimate of these, you know, of these sort of healing, trippy ambient records. Thanks, John. Yeah, thanks, John. Uh, music for psychedelic therapy by John Hopkins is out on November the twelfth on Domino records and um, we're going to give our critics a moment to pause now as we hear from the chilean director pablo Larraín. his latest film spencer is a look at the life of diana spencer the former princess of wales but if you're expecting a traditional biopic this is not it following in the footsteps of Lorraine's 2016 film jackie spencer looks at one particularly haunting week at the queen's sandringham estate and it stars Kristen stewart as diana monocle's senior correspondent fernando augusto pacheco spoke to pablo Larraín about the film the lens is more like microscopes, actually. And I'm the insect in the dish. You see, they're pulling my wings and my legs off. One by one. Making notes on how I react. Because she really does make a fuss, this one, doesn't she? There's a lot uh, about Diana. And we thought we had the chance to do a, a different angle. And that angle is, is basically her internal perception. Uh, this movie intends to exist inside of her perspective, her POV, right, uh, personal vision. So it's something related to to the visions and the versions that we can all have around Diana. The more we know, the less we really know. It's a paradox because I think Diana was a very mysterious person, and mystery is essential to cinema. So we thought we had a good chance to do a different angle of, of her life and find a moment where she's, you know, finding her identity and understanding that she has a, a life that it's maybe outside or could be outside of, of the royal family and understanding that she struggled to find her identity and she ultimately found it uh, in herself and in her children. And what about the choice of Kristen Stewart uh, in the role? I mean, it's quite interesting, you know, she's American. And, and perhaps that's why the film is so fascinating. I mean, you're, you're Chilean, she's American, and you're dealing with kind of a British icon as well. Uh, but perhaps it gives kind of an outsider perspective. But, but there are similarities between Kristen and Diana, that, that mystery uh, thing. You know, I think she has this kind of allure about her as well, right? Yeah, the, I agree. I think uh, Diana was a very mysterious person and, and, and I think Kristen can carry that mystery on, on screen really, really well. And and it's true, I'm, I'm from South America, from Chile, so there's nothing that could be further away from my reality and my culture and education than, than the royal family and the structure that it represents. But, but I think that specifically in the case of Diana, she was you know, ultimately a very universal character, and I think we can all relate to her. There are a number of reasons where you could, or situations and and contexts where you could feel that she's somewhat that, that is close to you and your reality. And that is something fascinating because, because then we can all relate to her. 
depending on who we are and our, our biographies, everyone has a different perception on on who Diana was. And, and that is great to cinema because when you get to see a movie like this, you would eventually complete what you're seeing with your own biography. And that is great to see, to experience, to feel. And I think Kristen does a beautiful work there because it's very intimate and and she can create the illusion of, of being Diana with her voice, with the physicality and a number of things, but but most importantly with with her emotional approach and, and when you start to feel what she's feeling, then you are with the character and, and that is what I think Kristen does so successfully. And I think it's fascinating how much you can tell a story in for just a small period, for example, Spencer, it's basically about that, that Christmas weekend at Sandringham uh, Castle. And I think you did something similar with Jack as well. You choose a select moment to basic, and, and it's funny because with that moment you can kind of understand so many things, right? Right. What, what, it, what it is is that often when any of us is going through a crisis or a difficult times, the way we behave can define us better than when things are going well, you know, and and that is what we do. I, th I think, and in both movies, in Jackie and, and now in Spencer, we we worked around uh, a very crucial time of their lives, and by doing so, you are able to witness and to experience with the main character you know, some of the decisions that they make and some of the things that they experience that we can relate and ultimately will help us to define who that person was. And finally, Pablo, I'm going to ask, because we are here in London, how did you feel about the initial reaction to Spencer? Because the British, they still have some kind of bond with the royal family, like then or not, you know, the newspapers, it's always a controversy, it's always on the front page, but so far the reviews have been excellent. I think we briefly talked about it, that of course the things that I don't really know, understand very well about the culture here, uh, the other things that I think I do, but what I care is, is about Diana and I think that she was obviously very British and, and very English, and but she was very also very universal and, and there are things that we cannot relate uh, to her. And also, you know, I'm a filmmaker and I'm attracted to interesting stories wherever they happened. And so as long as I can, you know, dig in and, and be able to deliver a movie that, that I consider and with the people that makes them, that they're, they're, they're worth, worth doing it and, and maybe worth seeing them, then there's a place that, that makes sense, you know, and, you know, I understand that in here, uh, Diane has a very special role and, and is interpreted by different organizations, perceptions, institutions, media. However, I think that, you know, I grew up seeing my mother really into Diana, and not only about her life, but my mother would likely be wearing similar fashion, I would cut her hair like her, and, and and then I discovered that my mom was just one of, of hundreds of millions around the world that were so interested in her. And I was very curious to know why, you know, and maybe this movie is an intent to go there. And in the process of making the movie, I realized that we were really making a movie about motherhood, which is what I think Spencer ultimately is. Do you want to be king, soldier? I have no choice.
You want to be the queen soldier? I'll be your mum. That's my job. That was the film director Pablo Lorraine speaking to Fernando Augusto Pacheco about his new film Spencer, which is out this Thursday, the 5th of November. Back to the legends in the studio. Kate Hunters and Susanna Butter now for their final book and album recommendations for this awesome. Um, Susanna, your third pick is The Every, and that is the latest from American big boy Dave Eggers. Where are we in Dave Eggers' oeuvre um, with, with The Every? We're back in the circle territory. Mm. So Dave Eggers has done a John Hopkins and he did one thing, then he went and did lots of other things and now he's come back. So The Circle was his 2013 book about a tech, huge tech company that was sort of a bit Google, a bit Facebook. I thought it was an excellent book, actually. Um, It was made into a not-so-excellent film with Emma Watson that not many people saw, I don't think. And in that time, Dave Eggers has done all sorts of things, written about all sorts of things, but now he's back, um, kind of with perfect timing, just as Facebook's rebranded to be called Meta. Mm. The Circle, the company, has rebranded to be called The Every. Mm. Um, And it encompasses... Amazon, Google, Apple, Facebook, all the big dogs. There isn't any sign of May, the woman from the circle, disappointingly, because I quite liked her. Instead, we have a woman called Delaney Wells, who's a park ranger, and she hates the way that the Every has taken over life. Um, They've kind of destroyed her parents' organic food business, and for a long time she's resisted uploading everything to the internet. It's kind of Black Mirror territory where... Mm you know, everything's tracked and gamified a bit. Um, But she decides to infiltrate it from the inside. So she gets a job there. And the huge plot unfolds. It's an enormous book. Do our protagonists feel like they are the little people that could against this kind of tech behemoth? Or are they... How, how sympathetic I can't, I can't imagine a park ranger whose parents <laughs> organic food business has been put out by a quasi Amazon retailer online retailer it's going to be that sympathetic to it but is this kind of this is smashing the system from the inside they're sort of annoying California do-gooding types a bit right um, and the other the other interesting thing about this book is that it's not going to be sold on Amazon which is... Touché Eggers burn how many <laughs> yeah. authors are doing that well Sally Rooney sort of I keep talking about Sally Rooney, but she she sort of hinted at it because in Beautiful World, Where Are You? There's a big plot about the guy who sort of works at what's a bit like Amazon, but then her book is sold on Amazon and she's made this big thing of saying that the work she does is just as valuable as the work that they do in the Amazon warehouse, which is a kind of interesting, noble thought and there is lots of truth in it, but then her book is sold on Amazon. So for Dave Eggers to actually go there is quite bold, I think. It's bold. Yeah. So that is the every by Dave Eggers, and that is out on the 16th of November and is published by Hamish Hamilton. Don't look at Amazon for it, though. Oh, no. Kate, finally, we're back to you. Um, for a final uh, spin of an LP this season, this is an African-American artist from New Orleans called Ife. Ife, yeah. Ife. Ife is a very special artist who is making a kind of Afro-Cuban futuristic roots music. <laughs> Right? Strong stuff. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite, I'm, I'm pleased with that one as a yeah. description. He calls it though a, a Black Atlantic 21st century sound system. His um, Yoruba name is Otura Mun, and he found himself in Puerto Rico um, a number of years ago. He started out DJing there. I think he was a drummer who's doing percussion, and he trained to be a Yoruban priest. And really got into the ceremonial drumming that takes place, you know, in in that in that tra- in that yeah. tradition. 
And he pulls in, in his music, those very intricate, interesting percussive, you know, drum patterns and, and rhythms of, of Afro-Cuban music, of Yoruban music. And he brings in the electronic element and a lot of auto-tune on this okay. record. In that kind of tradition of like dance hall and trap yeah. and he's sort of looking to the sort of contemporary styles in that kind of way with this auto-tune while, while delivering Yoruban prayers or, you know, that, that you would hear in sort of death ceremonies or funeral ceremonies, you know. And he creates something really unique, I would say. Um, well, this is a bit of it, and this is called Fake Blood. This is Ife. So this, I've got my notes, that this song was kind of something... He watched Hypernormalization, the Adam Curtis documentary, and was vibing off that. Yeah, I had Ife on my um, show, my Worldwide FM show last year, and talking to him, he's so fast-paced. There is a lot of ideas going on all the time, and his music, you know, thematically, he's talking about themes like colonialism, drug wars, racism, death, police brutality, and so on. There's a lot going on. And so... When I read that that track was influenced by Hyper, it t- made total sense to me because that's a documentary where there's just lots and lots and lots of different ideas, lots of images that sort of thrown at you, yeah. and um, this kind of interesting patchwork. And so it totally made sense to me that he would um, he would vibe as he would vibe say, with that doc. Yeah. So the that was fake blood. That was the single from the album by Ife. Oh. How are we going to say what the album is called? Because it's one of those ones. You know the band Chick Chick Chick? It's a bit like that. I knew you were going to ask me that because his... (sighs) Sorry. Artura's uh, debut EP in 2017 was styled, you know, Roman numerically, four plus four, a bit like Ed Sheeran. But you say it, Edgy Ogbe. So, you know, it's, it's, it's Yoruban. So... I'm th- I think the zeros his... aren't they not O's. Yeah, the album is four zeros plus four zeros, and absolutely that'll have a Reuben translation. And I wish I could tell you what that was. But listeners want to go and put it into their search engine of choice in order to buy it, to download it. Let should we call it Ooh plus Ooh? Sure. I mean that's not perfect, but like people will be able to write that in the new album by Ife Google it now out 5th of November <laughs> ooh plus ooh <laughs> what a nice show we had thank you both very much indeed oh we should say that that new record um, by Ife is out on the 5th of November um, that brings us to the end of an ebullient show today thank you very much to my guests Kate Hutchinson and Susanna Butter who recommended new albums by Adele John Hopkins and Ife and in books the new Paul McCartney autobiography called The Lyrics Dave Eggers latest novel The Every and Sarah Moss's The Fell this episode of Monocle and Culture was produced of course by Holly Fisher we'll be back at the same time next week when we'll be heading to a film prop auction house in search of Spider-Man's onesie until then, for me, Robert Bound, thanks for tuning in. Did you do it?